Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. Please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 8 I hate this place, Eddie said, plopping into a kitchen chair. Hush now, Eddie. From where I sit, you got it pretty good, Juliet replied. I don't know about that, he protested. You aren't made to be someone's puppet. They parade me around as society so often, and I feel like I'm starting to lose sight of myself. As soon as I am able, I'm leaving for Boston. It'll be better for me for sure. It has to be, Juliet sighed. <sighs> she had heard it a million times before. Give me a break, Eddie. First of all, you don't know a soul in Boston. Where are you going to stay, huh? I'll find a place. My mother's theater company was based in Boston. Her fellow actors are still there. They'll help me. I know it. Do you have a name of any of these folks? Yes, the ushers. They were her really good friends. They'll help me. Even so, Boston is a big city. What if you can't find the house of this family, the ushers? Then what? I'll figure it out. Don't you worry about me. Eddie sat sulking in the chair. Then he had another idea. You can come with me, he said. Come on now, Eddie. Ain't like I can ready up and leave on my own now, is it? Oh, God, I'm so sorry, Juliet. Eddie was great at crafting thought into ink, but not always the best in the very moment. I didn't mean it the way it sounded. I really didn't. I know what you meant. Tis fine. Despite the apology... Eddie stopped ruminating on his clumsy words to his indentured friend and changed the subject. Jules, mm-hmm. Do you remember those folk tales of old when we were little? The ones the old timers on the plantation told? Course I do. Brother Rabbit and Nancy the Spider. Actually, I was thinking of the other ones, like the legend of the crossroads. Baron Samdi, right? Juliet stopped washing the dishes and turned around to face him. The corners of Eddie's mouth curled up, and he knew that she knew exactly what he had in mind. I remember. Scared the bejesus out of me. You too. Pray tell. What made you think of that, Eddie? There's this assignment at school. To study what lives beyond the grave. No, it's not like that. The assignment is to do an essay on a classic work of literature that can be traced to something historical, something real. They gave Julius Caesar as an example. He was a real person, but Shakespeare wrote a famous play that wove the facts about Caesar into a semi-fictional play. He added all the drama to this otherwise harrowing, real tale, and we had to choose a title similar to that. I chose The Tragedy of Macbeth, which is about another very real king, only in this case, he was from Scotland. I learned a lot about the real Macbeth while we lived in Scotland and England a few years ago. Fascinating place. Anyway, the theatrical telling of Macbeth starts off with three witches reciting a spell. While we lived outside of Glasgow, there was a legend I heard that Shakespeare stole incantations from a real coven of witches 
and he reprinted them in his play to be authentic. But then, of course, the Coven of Witches was pretty unhappy with this, so supposedly they put a curse on the play, and to this day, strange things happen whenever anybody puts on a production of Macbeth. And that part, Jules, I can tell you is absolutely true. For my school paper, I'd like to explore the legend where fact and fiction meet. <laughs> so you see, he said, laughing nervously, it's all in the name of schoolwork. <sighs> I give up, Eddie. What's this Shakespeare business got to do with the stories they used to tell us down on the plantation? Well, some of the lines in the play sounded familiar to me. Eye of Newt and Toe of Frog, that sort of thing. It made me realize there are similarities in the various cultures of the world, even if they aren't directly related. Eddie, she sighed. Don't go stir in that pot. You mean cauldron? Huh? She didn't get the joke. Please, Juliet, he pleaded. My grade rides on this paper. Juliet thought about it a moment. I'm going to regret this question. Which stories you got in mind? Eddie sat on the edge of his chair, more excited than ever. Oh, thank you. The fables that contained magic spells and mischief. Eddie scooted to the edge of his seat. Any of those, especially the ones about necromancy. What you call it now? It means communicating with the dead. Of course I remember. Scared the figs out of me. And now I got a question for you, Eddie. Do you remember that scared little man who had nightmares each time he heard say about devilry? I was a kid, Juliet. No matter. Man go looking for the devil. He's sure to find him. You're dancing with trouble, Eddie. Edgar shrugged. Oh, please. It's just for a paper. Humor me, Juliet. Stories of necromancy can be found in everything from the Bible to Chaucer. They're everywhere. As I recall, there were stories of communing with the dead in those old folk tales they used to tell down at the cabins. Only down there, the folks call them something else. I've forgotten what, which is why I need your help. I know there's got to be a link between Shakespeare's witches and real magic from other cultures. You're asking about conjure, Eddie. Some call it hoodoo or obia. Juliet whispered the last word as if they were magic in the word alone. Obia, yes, Eddie shouted. Thank you. I couldn't recall that word for the life of me. So these conjurers, they can talk to the dead, right? I ain't getting into this with you. Well, do you at least remember the stories? First off, Eddie, folks down in them cabins were trying to scare us. Looking back now, I think it was downright mean to go filling a child's head with all those tales. Eddie knew Juliet was right. As a child, story time at the cabins had petrified him to the core. But the folk tales had also a surprisingly positive effect, offering the orphaned boy a feeling of belonging. With his brother Henry far away in Baltimore and his little sister adopted by the Mackenzies, Sitting around the campfire made Eddie feel included in something, and being included in anything was better than what he had received at the Allens. Nevertheless, if Frances Allen had known the kind of stories her young ward was being told, there would have been hell to pay. Even at a young age, Eddie knew the dark tales would have to remain a secret. He'd seen slaves get whipped for saying far less. So silent he remained all the while leaving the Allens painfully ignorant to the effects folklore was having on Eddie. Now, all these years later, he was hooked on the adrenaline that coursed through his veins each and every time he heard a blood-curdling tale. He simply could not get enough. Consequently, 
Therein came a fascination with the macabre that would forever prosper in his soul. Secondly, Juliet interrupted his days. No self-respect in city boys such as yourself should go messing with all that stuff. It's powerful magic, Conjure. Just as soon as steal a man's soul as it can save his life. Eddie retorted, I thought you loved the stories as much as I did. It isn't as if we didn't beg for more, Jules. Well, yes, but that was back when I didn't understand the power of Conjure. When I grew up, I learned more. I recall thinking it was a good thing your folks moved so far away, lest you be hearing more of that. I hate to tell you this, Juliet, but I miss those stories so much that I started writing my own. I used to imagine the ghosts of beheaded Elizabethans roaming the Tower of London. There were these giant crows that live on the grounds. Pure evil, if you ask me. You do know what they call a group of crows, don't you? A murder. A murder of crows. And a group of ravens? That's called a conspiracy. No kidding. One can easily see why they were the symbol of the Black Plague. Anyway, I would spend hours wondering what they were plotting with those dark, soulless eyes. But I digress. I really think I'm on to an interesting theory with this paper, Juliet. European witchcraft, magic, whatever you call it, conjure, voodoo. I think it's all related to what the witches of Macbeth were practicing. And that's what I want to write my paper on, Juliet sighed. <sighs> oh, Eddie, see that? You got it wrong already. Voodoo is a religion, Obia. Conjure, it's magic. Oh, yes. They all come from one and the same, way back when, anyway. But over time, they've evolved into completely different practices. No matter the name by which you call it, tis a bad idea to be inviting all that trouble in, Eddie. But you said it yourself. Tis all related. You have to help me, Juliet. I know you understand more than you're letting on. Just tell me this. Do the spells work? Do they work? She retorted. Does a one-legged frog swim funny? I'm serious, Jules, he said laughing. Please help me. Juliet conceded with a sigh. Far as I can tell, there's folks what can put spells on you. That much is true. Eddie grabbed a piece of paper and began to take notes. Tell me more. Mama sheltered me from most of it, but I know a thing or two. I ain't about to go into it now, though. So y'all best be putting your notebook away, lest I be ushering in the nightmares. Well, if not now, then when? In due time, Eddie. In due time. Juliet and Eddie locked eyes. And while she never spoke a word, Edgar knew intrinsically that she had all the answers he needed, even the darkest of his many questions. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars 
papers and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Evermore Poe. Here's where I want to add today's facts. The character of Juliet, who I am not really calling a house girl, would have been a slave in the Allen home. There are records to indicate the character of Juliet in my story is a composite of several of these slaves. The real life aspects of today's show. Eddie did grow up going to a plantation with his foster father, John Allen, and he did live in Scotland where he was known to wander around cemeteries and listen to the darkest and scariest tales. As for that curse of the Scottish play Macbeth, there is, in fact, something strange that happens every time that play is put on. I invite you to Google it and go down that rabbit hole all on your own because it is quite the dark and twisted tale. Until next time, folks, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you so much for listening. Please do share this podcast with your friends. I would also really be grateful if you would subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review. It means the world to us. Until next time. Take care. Bye-bye.